You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! All the haters out there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle! Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's time for another preview edition of the DT Pod for a game tomorrow, the shortest turnaround time we've had from preview podcast to game of the entire season, primetime in Buffalo for a huge AFC East clash in prime time, nighttime, cold, snow, the only game on at the time. We'll look at the matchups position by position through the tape and the stats. We'll tell you what's at stake with this week's game, the three keys to win the game, and pick the Week 15 contest around the National Football League. From somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. It feels this week like you probably don't need that much of an introduction. A division opponent who, unlike the Patriots, Patriots and Jets, haven't undergone a whole lot of change in recent years. The other two have seen their longtime quarterback depart, and the other have a new coaching staff in the last couple of years. But the Buffalo Bills have kind of become not just the stable force within the division, but the conference in the entire league. The Cliffs notes on Buffalo and how they got here. Sean McDermott and, I almost said Billy Bean, Brandon Bean arrive at the exact same time, start building a culture of tough, smart players with more of a focus on the sum of the parts opposed to the star player by trading away some of their name talent for draft picks and getting Sean McDermott type of players in there. And that really began back in 2017, where they also, in that same process, developed their own stars. And it began that year by remaking the secondary with Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, and Tredavious White. Then in 2018 with Josh Allen, 2020 with Stephon Diggs. This year they go out and they add Von Miller, who is out for the year. But you can argue it's the best roster in the National Football League when fully healthy. There's a reason they were these overwhelming Super Bowl favorites coming into the season. They can beat you when they don't play well. They can boat race you when they do. And they sure know how to play within the elements that they deal with almost on a weekly basis, pretty much after Halloween up there in Buffalo. I don't think it needs much more set up than that. This is the team that, for all intents and purposes, kept the Dolphins from championships in the 90s. Losing to Buffalo was the difference between making and missing the playoffs in a lot of those 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven type of years, and the aughts, hell, the 2002 Ray Lucas game was the difference in playoffs and not. We don't like them. They don't like us. They want to get OSHA involved when there's a game in South Florida. We have the heat. They have the snow. It's a great rivalry that pits the two most polarizing towns in the National Football League against one another. And there's a good history of some bad blood here, I would say. Let's go ahead and get into the matchup of Dolphins offense versus the Bills defense and the quarterback of Miami and their offensive system versus the safeties of the Buffalo Bills and their defense. And this is the most unique defense in the NFL in terms of their personnel deployment and it's really built around the presence of one player, sort of. Teron Johnson is one of their best players, and calling him a nickel or slot cornerback is entirely disingenuous because he plays every snap. And we'll cover his game in the cornerbacks edition of this pod. But his name is required here because of this. They play the nickel 
95.5% of their snaps. They're a one-package defense. Nothing else eclipses 1.7%. That's their 3-4 base look, which makes you wonder. Makes you wonder about the running game because that's you go back over the tape. What's one thing that teams have been able to consistently do against the Buffalo Bills this year, week in and week out? It's run the football. If you can go two, two tight ends, if you can get a second a fullback into the game, obviously like Miami has, that's going to put them a man down in terms of their box count. In terms of guys that can compete with heavier personnel, but Taron Johnson has the ability to do that. So that's kind of why they feel comfortable in that. They also can get out to big leads, and that allows them to play from you know a position where the nickel is the primary package as teams throw to catch up on them. But the 3-4 base they run is 1.7%. They do run a 4-3 or reverse 1% of the time, so it's like a drop in the bucket. And then 1.2% dime defense and a fraction of others. But as far as where they align with their safeties pre-snap, that's changed a lot this year because of the injury to Micah Hyde, and so has the way they've deployed the safeties as a result of that. More on that in just a second. But single high coverage is 43.5%. Two high is 53%, and they've ran cover zero 30 plays this year. That's 3.5% of their defense. It's a good mix of man and zone. There was more man with Vaughn Miller in the lineup, but I also wonder if Trey White, Tredavious White, starts to increase that again because he played 100 snaps in a game for the first time last week since 2021. They've also been on and off with rookie cornerback Kyer Elam, who's been a healthy scratch at times this year and given way in a platoon role with sixth-round draft pick Christian Bentford, who is on the IR. And I think ideally when they have White and Elam up to full speed together, they do become a man coverage primary team. But I don't know if you can expect that in this game because it is still a little bit green and because, well, Elam's not playing over the rest of the guys they have in that secondary on a week-to-week basis. But as always, you want to be prepared for both. So if it's man coverage, mesh routes and rubs, man. Have you seen mesh one time this year? I think if they're going to go man coverage, I'd love to see, you know, a combination of players that includes either Tyreek or Jalen or both of them with mesh, which is basically either side of the formation and you cross right in front of the middle linebacker, right behind the middle linebacker and create conflict for him. Might be a nice offset to some of the RPO looks, some of the uh, play action game in terms of guys pre-snap motion in one direction. I think you could get, you know, some width with your pre-snap motions and then run mesh in behind that linebacker and keep him conflicted in terms of, well, I either am downhill or that deep, you know, 15 yard hook drop that we saw San Francisco and LA have success with. But now if I'm contending with the potential run game in my eyes, taking the candy into the backfield, if I get that deep drop and they're going to mesh right in front of me, well, now all of a sudden that changes things and you can run things off of that. And I, I just really, I really have faith that this offensive staff is going to come up with something to counter what could potentially be coming to the pike as a sort of blueprint plan, right? That everyone's talking about. Uh, the teams throughout the last couple of weeks. And if it goes back to more of that zone, that kind of inside triangle with, or I should say triangle with inside leverage, you know, some smash concepts where you have the outside receiver run like a hook or a little, you know, in breaking route with the flag route in behind that some whips or jerk routes, whatever you call those that I think I've heard it called China inside to the outside. You know, you set up for the slant or for the little skinny post, put that foot in the ground, pivot back to the outside. It was basically Wes Welker's primary route in his entire career speed outs you know five yards press the inside shoulder break back across the outside and those flag routes back to the corner so I think there's some opportunities for Miami here we'll see if they can get to it the weather might have an impact on that as far as the Buffalo defense they blitz 18.8 percent of the time which is the 10th lowest rate in the National Football League but their pressure rate's 23 percent and we talk about that on the podcast every week if you can get a higher pressure rate 
than your blitz percentage, then you're probably a pretty good pass rush. And that pressure rate is 12th best in the NFL. And those numbers have fluctuated with the loss of Von Miller because they're blitzing more and haven't generated as much pressure from their four-man fronts without him. But it's still a key piece to their defense with Gregory Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, Ed Oliver, all those guys are so dang good. They need pressure with the front four to really maximize what they do best in their system, which is a complex zone scheme that can man the can man match when it's required of certain formations, certain checks, they can disguise very well and they have a bunch of guys who have played together for a super long time in that back end, which gives you that smooth pattern matching, not really many coverage busts. They communicate well, and you heard head coach Mike McDaniel talk about how there just wasn't really any bust in the Chargers game, which is rare. I mean, I know NFL teams are supposed to be the cream of the crop, but they still happen on a weekly basis across the National Football League. Now, as far as the blitz rate against the Dolphins last time around, and this is our first repeat opponent of the year, which is crazy to me in Week 15. Most teams get two division games out of the way, usually by Halloween. But they only blitzed Tua on 10% of his dropbacks in that Week 3 victory for the Miami Dolphins in the Sun. And if you recall, he only had 19 dropbacks in that game, so that meant just two blitzes the entire time. If that's the plan again, Tua is going to have to be sharp, finding openings and attacking the opportunities against man coverage when they are there. If the weather is bad in terms of the snow and the wind, you have to imagine the Bills probably want to clamp a little bit and see if Miami can win vertically because it's tougher to throw the ball further down the field when there's bad weather, right? And they've shown their ability to do that this year, have the Dolphins. And you hit a couple of deep balls in this one in any game, really. It changes the entire complexion, not just of the scoreboard, but also the way the game unfolds from there from a strategy and schematic standpoint. In that game, back in the hot, hot sunshine that was so illegal, uh, Tua was 3-for-3 last time, throwing the ball 20-plus yards down the field for 93 passing yards, including what served essentially as the game winner with that 45-yard dime to Jalen Waddle on 3rd and 22. Like the last couple of teams we faced, they are super athletic at the linebacker position. And if if the Bills operate in the same style as the Niners and Chargers, where they deepen that hook zone drop and don't really take much of the cheese on play action, then the Dolphins must get the running game going and have quick answers in the checkdown game. I was looking at some old Dolphins and Bills games. The last two times Miami won in Buffalo was 2016 and 2011. They ran for 200 yards in both those games. Jay Ajayi and Reggie Bush, the primary culprits there. And more on that in the running back section. Let's go ahead and cover the quarterback safety matchup here real quick in this portion. It's different without Micah Hyde. But Jordan Poyer is still there doing great things every single week. He's one of the best players in the NFL. He's going to make plays. Tua has to be sharp. You have to identify him, not lock onto a target and hold him. You have to really respect where Jordan Poyer is on a given play. He's got four more picks this year. That's pretty much run of the mill for him. Four, five, six picks a year. Another handful of pass breakups. And that's in just nine games for him played this year. Now he is playing the deep center field more often this year without Micah Hyde back there. And that speaks to his versatility to basically change his role. Kind of like Javon Holland has in some ways. And I think that limits the true strength of the defense with both of them and that they are virtually interchangeable because now in Hyde's place is a very smart player in DeMar Hamlin who's got 23 pass rush reps to Poyer's 10. And that's a bit of a flip from what you would see with Hyde and Poyer. So there you go. But you'll see DeMar Hamlin come down and insert himself in the running game, 18 run stops to Poyer's 10. And on that third and 22, he was a big part of that play. Tua moved him out of that lane to create that throw. Do that again. That'll be nice to see. All things told, we've seen Tua continue to throw with confidence. And for me, that's my key for Tua in this game. Keep trusting the eyes. He's so good in that certain area of the field. Trust what you see. Trust the plan that Mike and the coaches have given you and attack this defense the way you have all year long. Don't lose that confidence. Don't change who you are. You beat this team once. You can do it again. 
wide receivers and tight ends against the Buffalo corners. We mentioned Teron Johnson in the open, one of the true Jenga pieces in the National Football League. He's just so important. I imagine he'll match up with Tyreek and Jalen a lot, especially when they kick inside. And back in week three, he only saw two targets against the two of them. And it made sense because, you know, they were short some players in the secondary. Why attack the lone remaining starter they had in the lineup back then? But he will key their disguises. He'll switch his roles to the line of scrimmage. He'll rush. He'll insert against the run. He'll blow up the screen. He's a great, great player. In a secondary that has been banged up all year, he's leading them in coverage snaps by quite a big margin, 512. The next one is 400. Eh, it's not that big, 75. He has allowed just 59 yards with 28 run stops. I'm sorry, 596 yards. That six got cut off. There it is again with 28 run stops. Dane Jackson's on the other side uh, at the cornerback position as Trey White. He missed last game, but he's back. He's been the starter when he's been healthy, and it's been 525 yards on 475 coverage snaps, but two picks, nine pass breakups. Then, of course, Jadavius White, who's one of the most competitive players you'll find. He wants to play physical and challenge you, but he's... So dang adept at falling off his man and winding up in a place that he's not supposed to be in to take the football away. I'm curious how comfortable he'd feel doing that given his limited work coming back from the injury, but a player of his caliber, I'd never count him out for that. Now, in terms of their movement to match the Miami speed, and we look at the RAS scorecards usually weekly here on this portion of the podcast, for Dane Jackson, and this is across the board, they're not like a super athletic bunch compared to you know other NFL cornerbacks. I would never call an NFL player not athletic. That's crazy, but compared to their peers, yeah. Uh, Dane Jackson, less than 50th percentile in his three-cone, 10-split, 20-split, 40-yard dash, short shuttle, and his overall relative athletic scorecard. To me, this is the guy. Like If you get one-on-one matchups here, go after him, especially with 10 and 17. Tredavious White, the only stat that he's better than 75th percentile in is the 40-yard dash. He's 68th percentile in three-cone, 30th in shuttle, 45th in the broad, and 16th percentile in the vertical jump. This is why I think Tyreek Hill is the Bills killer. If that's how they want to play it, we need Tyreek to have that, you know, 10 for 150 type of game and go win it for us. And Trey White is better to me suited playing guys like Devontae Parker. Now, Teron Johnson, it's the same story. 46 percentile or lower in three cone, shuttle, broad, and vertical. To me, you condense things close to the quarterback and create easy natural rubs against man. You force them to want to play inside that box if they want to press up and challenge that area because it then creates more width on the outside. And you condense them pre-snap and expand it post-snap to open up those windows more so than you would previously, because if they want to charge on that outside breaking route from their inside leverage, then that creates chances to make moves off of that, or they just give it to you and you take what's there. And it can create some matchups that I think are not as easily dictated pre-snap when you play from that condensed formation. We have their defense killed in overall speed, and if it's a slippery track, that could potentially be beneficial for the Dolphins' offense because the receiver knows where they're going, right? Get the ball out hot, went after the catch, That's the route to victory for me here, both at receiver and the running backs who should get tons of touches in this game quickly in space in the short areas of the field. And let's get some yak going in this offense really for the first time all year. Now, I'm really curious to see how they align pre-snap because, again, teams have kind of shown you a a way to slow this offense for the first time really since before Tua came back. And I lean towards a zone heavy plan for them. I'm wondering if they'll change that and what they really do after, you know, we saw the reroute have effect last couple of weeks, but on the season, they play off 62% of the time and they press 38% of the time, which is pretty common across the league. The biggest thing to me here is how do they defend Tyreek Hill? Because they gave him all the attention of the world back in week three and Waddle rose to the occasion. But last year in the playoffs with the Chiefs, 
Tyreek caught 11 of 12 targets for a buck 50 and a tutty. And if the attention does go back to 10, then you have to have a big day from 17 and really all the guys. Like, and I think you've seen Trent Sherfield's role expand since that week three game. So for him, if he can win some one-on-one matchups, especially if he gets matched up on a linebacker or a safety, and they'll do that sometimes, whether it's sacrificing guys in the rush game or doubling or bracketing somebody else with their zones and, you know, trail technique into this funneled zone, that could be a key matchup here to steal some first downs and yards. And like we say every week, it starts up front in the trenches. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and get to the Dolphins' offensive line versus the Buffalo Bills' defensive line. Dolphins and Bills preview Saturday night in Buffalo, December the 17th. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Back here on a Friday on the Drive Time Podcast, previewing Dolphins at Bills from, what is it called now, New I don't even know the stadium in Buffalo. Uh, yeah, let's pick it up back with the Dolphins offensive line versus the Bills defensive line. It's been a big area of contention in this rivalry in recent years, and it's impacted, you know, our quarterback with some injuries last couple of seasons and how the Dolphins are able to, you know, rally back this year in that game after he exited for a little bit. But, uh, this is kind of what they do. They put a big hurt on Mike White last week. He was, came out of that game and took a bunch of big shots and he's questionable heading into this week. And it starts off the edge, really, with Von Miller was the guy, but now it's kind of pivoted, and they have more guys in that arena that can step up. Gregory Rousseau has taken a massive step forward. With Von Miller, you know, he had 45 pressures to lead the team. Uh, they were tough to stop, and they still are with without Von Miller. Um, but it's obviously impossible to replace a talent like that guy, but you don't get it twisted. You still have to have your best, and it sounds like Teron Armstead will play in the game, which is going to be a big key for Miami. Uh, pressures and run stops among their edge defenders. Rousseau, 31 and 13. He's got a great get-off. You Hurricanes fans know all about him. Got a good arsenal of pass rush moves. AJ Epinesa was a five-star freak at, at Iowa with insane length and flexibility and played like every damn snap they played for the Hawkeyes, and he just had production on top of production. He's coming into his own. 21 pressures, 11 run stops for him. Y'all know about Shaq Lawson, 17 pressures and 11 run stops. And then Carlos Boogie Basham, length, strength, heavy hands, 16 pass uh, pressures and seven run stops for him this season. Among the interior, I think this is the, the strength of this football team. And I was talking about the interior when I wrote it down, but really the edge and interior in general when you consider the front seven, maybe just the entire front seven because those linebackers as well with Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. But Ed Oliver, he's a man, he could play anywhere from defensive tackle to off-ball linebacker. And that was kind of what he did back at at Houston, which made him a top, you know, five potential pick. And he winds up going, I think it was nine to Buffalo. 26 pressures, 14 run stops. He is a menace, man. He can beat you with length. He can kind of, you know, pin you and, and do a dip and rip and swim over the top of you and beat you with quickness. And he can play off of your pads and redirect. He's just got, he's got the entire arsenal, man. Daquan Jones is one of the most underrated players in football, 26 and 16 for him. Great numbers there. Jordan Phillips is going to miss the game. I had him in my notes, but then I learned later that he wasn't going to play. Uh, and then Tim settled 10 pressures and 10 run stops. All of those guys, man, you lose Phillips and Miller out of those groups, but 
that's as good as it gets. You know, inside, our power and ability to stay on blocks will be tested. Oliver is a complete specimen that you have to basically account for with probably double teams throughout most of the game. That length and get off and counter move and spin move, he just, he's really good, man. He challenges you in every way. And Connor Williams has been tremendous this year. Now, Oliver didn't play back in week three, so to me, this is the biggest test of the season for Connor Williams inside. Uh, we know about Phillips. I, I wrote a whole thing on him, but <clears throat> we'll take him out of the notes. Settle is a great space eater, and then Daquan Jones is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. To me, he's their Zach Sealer. Consistent, tough to move, makes a splash player to every single game. And then off the edge, they certainly have a type here. Heavy-handed, long pass rushers who can collapse the pocket by playing through you and kind of playing the run on the way to the quarterback, and they ask those guys up front to do so much in terms of that. So for Miami, if they can keep those guys' eyes occupied or maybe execute some wham and trap and counter and things that get them, you know, taking lateral steps and following the outside zone, hit a big run off the outside, get some jet sweep, maybe a reverse that gets them off balance. Like those are the types of things I think you're going to have to do to get this defensive line, you know, not settled into the flow of the game. Cause once they start kind of getting downhill on you, they are tough to stop. And if you let them do that, it just opens up their coverage to really take the football away and be almost impossible to move the ball on without turning it over you know, because they don't give up big plays and they keep you on the field and eventually you make a mistake and they turn you over. Tua has to be privy to this style of football and recognize that escape hatches are not always going to be there for the scrambles. Probably won't be like they were last week against that man coverage of the Chargers. We need to have our best efforts from everyone in a big game off the edge from Teron Armstead to handle Rousseau. Hopefully Miami's speed off the edges can help neutralize these guys a bit, which I think the running game is going to be critical this week as, as well as, you know, the short passing game too. But Connor Williams, big test. Teron Armstead, big test. And you got to have some one-on-one wins somewhere. But just being able to consistently blow guys off the football and creating space in the running game. Other teams have done that. Can Miami? It's a big key this week. We finish up on the offense here with the running backs versus linebackers. And sounds like Matt Milano is going to play the game. He's a legit defensive player of the year candidate. He keys everything and kind of is your disguise buster, as it were. He's a critical piece of that defense, especially against an offense that wants to create hesitation through the conflict defenders. We saw him jump one for a near pick six back in week three and shut down his fair share of run plays. You got to find Matt Milano out there. Tremaine Edmonds is built like Fred Warner and that he's lengthy, he's fast, and he's explosive. That said, he's not as instinctive, so hopefully Miami can give him enough eye candy and utilize Alec Ingold enough, who you know has kind of grown his role in this offense, and maybe this is kind of the game where he puts a stamp on this Dolphins offense. If you can give him you know something to look at, maybe you can delay the traits that he offers a little bit. I'm so curious to see not just our plan, but theirs. Like, Do they sell out to defend those deep hook drops? If so, can we run the football or do they not? And if so, can we get back to just pumping the ball in behind those linebackers for chunk after chunk? Either way, I think the backs need a big game, both in the passing game and as ball carriers. We saw Miami get the run game going a little bit at times last week, and then it just would kind of shut down. And then all of a sudden, second and nine, second and 11, they need to be more consistent, more committed. And we mentioned the minimal blitzes. Like, see that and get out into the pattern and make yourself available to catch the football. Or if they come, help to uh, buy that extra half second and find the holes left in coverage from the blitz. Big, big game, and I cannot wait to see either side's plan in this one. Let's go ahead and go to the other side with Dolphins defense versus the Bills offense and the quarterback and offense versus the safety and the defense. Starting with their personnel, a big change from years past. 69% 11 personnel. Nice From 12 personnel, just 4%. 21 personnel is 15%. 
and 22 personnel is 3%. And the reason I say a big change there, it's an interesting adaptation from Brian Dayball to Ken Dorsey in the complete absence of 10 personnel. They haven't ran one four wide receiver set this year. That's one back, no tight ends, and four receivers. That's a grouping that almost nobody in the league eclipses 1% because it's just not many teams have four receivers that can run out there all the time. But the last couple of years, it was always that way for all but two teams, Cliff Kingsbury's Cardinals and the Buffalo Bills. But they're incorporating a fullback and kind of going the complete opposite direction now. And Dawson Knox is a big part of that too. That's kind of the counter to how teams have played the Bills this season and a big part of that. And it helps them get digs into one-on-one situations or you can get a double on him and then you get mismatches on explosive running backs or Dawson Knox. It's a lot to deal with. Josh Allen's time to throw is 2.82 seconds. He holds the ball and looks to hunt for big play. So tackling him is always a key. Nobody really does it that well. He has 47 scrambles, and that's where most of the big plays in this offense comes from scrambles from Josh Allen or broken pockets where he throws deep. Now, how you want to defend him, frankly, I have no idea. I'll talk about that throughout this podcast. When he's been blitzed this year, it's 30% of his dropbacks. He's 57% with a 6.1 YPA. And he has seven touchdowns and three picks. When he's not blitzed, that's 70% of the dropbacks. He's 67% completion, 8.2 yards per attempt, 19 touchdowns and eight picks. He's not ineffective against pressure whatsoever. He's 8.4 yards per pass with nine touchdowns and three picks, but just 52% completion. But that's always been Josh Allen. You can win on first and second down, and he can miss both of those throws even. But then on third down, he'll absorb you know a squared up shot from your linebacker, stay on his feet, break the pocket, have a guy hanging off his shoulder pads, and rip a 40-yard dot to Stephon Diggs down the field right on his face mask. It's insane. He's the best playmaker the sport has, and that's the book from his time at Wyoming, right? He was always fun to watch, just carry that offense despite drops and breakdowns and protection, no run game, and they still found themselves like competing with much better Mountain West teams, and he's just willing to kind of willing his way to big plays to get points on the board. He's done it as a pro at times, too, and when he dials it in, this offense is unstoppable. Now, he's had his slumps this year as well, even though he's taken his game to a different level in terms of taking what's there and playing the position. He's been more patient this year than in years past and reflected by a career low average depth of target. It's still 9.0, which is super high, but he literally was 11.5 as a rookie, 10.3 in 2019, and always in the high nine since then. His deep percentage throws, 12.8% of the throws go 20 plus yards down the field. They average 15.9 yards per pop with eight touchdowns and three picks. Remember the last two teams we played never hit the deep shot per our preview. They just didn't do it. They both threw under 10% of their balls deep and YPAs under 10 yards per pass. But this is a team that will force you to defend every single blade of artificial turf on Saturday. Now, having watched a ton of Bills games always, but this year in particular, there's been bad weather there seemingly every home game for the last month. And that's how it should be Saturday night. And we've seen it impact Allen's accuracy at times. Like we said in the scouting report, there are throws he will miss Every quarterback does, but he's over the league average in that regard. He's fourth on PFF and off-target throws, but again, he's like Steph Curry and just needs one quarter to drop 30 points on you. My key here is this. Nobody has thrown more picks or has more turnover-worthy throws than Josh Allen, and again, it's most of the time doesn't matter because they can make so much with the rest of the plays and drives they have in a given game, but we have seen them seemingly each week going back to 2020. You must intercept the ball when you get the chance. Good offenses plus more opportunities equals disaster, right? Simple formula we discussed here on the podcast, talking about a good team in baseball. Can't give them four outs. That week three game did not feature an interception, 
but that's not a script I think you can count on with those two late stops, a clock that expires, a spiked fourth down throw in the end zone. Rather, Jalen Phillips comes up with that tipped interception or Javon Holland, when he jumps that route to the pylon, he makes the play and finishes the pick. We have to make those plays in this game. To win this game, the Dolphins need to find some positives in the margins. And I'm not counting on special teams for that because we lose so many yards in special teams every single week. Flipping the field with a key takeaway, this is the way. On the topic of Javon Holland, he's often a catalyst. He does a great job of limiting opposing teams' deep passing, inserts off the edge as a rusher and against the run. And I think this game is his biggest test. Well, since week three, when he played one of the best and most impressive games by any player on this team all season. The ability of the Bills to get anything from any personnel, deep shots from 22, run game from 10, and everything in between, that's the modern style offense that Javon has built to defend. It's a fun test for the snowman in frigid weathers. That part has me perplexed, and the part I'll leave to Coach Boyer, and I want to add a parenthetical here that Josh Boyer's solutions are the ones that matter, and my podcast is just one opinion and for fun discussions from some goofball here on the podcast, but the part that I really just throw my hands up with, no idea. So like in the current NFL, blitzing top-of-the-line quarterbacks is instant death, right? They'll find it, and they'll carve you up before you can even get pressure by finding the vacancy that you brought with that zone with that blitz. And we saw that back in week three when, now granted, it was 63 pass attempts and 75 dropbacks in total. So right in line with our 30% blitz rate, but it was 17 of 22 for 202 and two touchdowns against the blitz. That's that's really, really good. Don't got to tell you that. Pretty par for the course what you get with this quarterback, right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't have done that because you can't just give him the same look over and over. But listen to this. Since week nine versus the Blitz, he's 30 of 52. That's 58% with five yards per pass and no touchdowns. That's not productive at all. And given the potential elements, speeding up the clock might be a good way to manufacture more of those misses we talked about earlier. I don't know, something to think about. And I won't be once that four-man pressure package as the primary rush all season long. I, I laugh while saying I really don't know, man, because it's like you put the pros and cons up there. And there are plenty of, of both against this team. It's a tough, tough decision. It's why you pay the coaches the big bucks to come up with plans against a guy like this. Let's go ahead and take that last break and come back on the other side and talk about the rest of the Dolphins' defense versus the Bills' offense. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's a Friday here, a preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast, and we pick it back up with the Bills receivers and tight ends versus the corners of Miami. And I want to touch on something here, a bit of a breaking point. Personally, I don't think it's repairable, reparable this season. I know there are a few accounts out there telling you that pressures are a meaningless stat, and I'm here to tell you they should pay no mind to that because... The Dolphins' pass rush has been really, really good this year. It's third in the NFL in pass rush win rate per ESPN. There's also a cool graph that was put together. Uh, it's a PFF plot of rushers on an x-axis of expected average raw pass rush grade, which is difficulty of assignment, and grade over expectation on the y-axis, 
quality of pass rushing. And Phillips and Ingram are four and five in the grade over expectation among edge rushers. And Chubb is on the positive side, the top 20 player in that regard. He's cooled off a bit, but he's still up in that area. All of this is to say the pass rush is really freaking good, man. Especially when you factor in Christian Wilkins checking in at 15th among the interior rush list. But the truth is that he's getting better and better. So that number just keeps increasing the last couple of weeks. But because the back end hasn't been holding up, you're not seeing the impact of those pass rush wins. And it's going to be incumbent on the staff to find a way to mask that fact. I mean, Byron Jones was always a massive loss. Then Nick Needham. Well, luckily we've got Cater there to kind of fill that role a little bit. But Trill Williams was the top backup for Byron Jones, in my opinion. And then to lose Brandon Jones, who created even more flexibility, and now Eric Rowe in this game, who's going to be out for the game. It's just the type of attrition you cannot expect to survive. You have to scheme around it. And the biggest impact we've seen is a dominant pass rush that gets not a lot of payoff. This is probably the toughest matchup against this Bills team because they are top heavy, they are deep, and they are diverse, and they match the play style of their quarterback. It's super intriguing because Allen holds the ball and big play hunts more than any quarterback in the league. But Miami has been getting home with pressure among the best teams in the league. So does Allen follow Herbert's plan from last week and take those quick hitters and just eat up the short completions with the occasional deep shot built in? Or does he play true to his style and bank on making rushers miss like he is wont to do? Stephon Diggs is one of the best receivers in the entire National Football League. There aren't many corners who can match up one-on-one and remove him from the game. Xavier Howard probably came the closest earlier this season because Diggs had 7 for 74 in that game. But again, if you consider just 10.6 yards per catch on 11 targets, that's less than 7 yards per target. A great number against a guy who averages over 10 this season. And there was the one long play to open the game of 28 yards. So after that, just 6 for 46. It's fantastic. Now, he did get routes on 6 players, but only X saw more than one target. They were 3 for 5 for 47 yards throwing the ball against X, and one of those was that spike at the end of the half too. That feels like the play here to me in a game that you need your best to beat their best. But again, matchups like this are never 100% of the game. So we saw Xavier Howard shadow Mike Williams for 82% of the game last week. And given all the injuries at corner, that might just be the best bet there. But Buffalo is deep, man. So you need an answer for Gabe Davis, who offers size, tremendous feel, and an excellent route runner in terms of setting guys up with double moves and precise movement to get the action on that first move and then spring to the second level. And when Allen breaks the pocket, he loves to find both Diggs and Davis getting vertical. So for him, I think Cater is the one that has brought the most physicality all year long. Those seem like the right man matchups, but again, it varies because there's also plenty of zone match and we'll see about all that. But plastering is the key this week. When he breaks the pocket, you have to plaster and get on your guy. Isaiah McKenzie does a lot of the creative stuff with jet sweeps and screens and catching the football and running on mesh routes and concepts. He's kind of a glue piece in that nobody does what he can. The Chargers caught us on some rubs with pre-snap motion against our man looks. So you can almost bank on the Bills doing similar stuff with McKenzie here. Then there's Dawson Knox, and it might be, you know, it's not going to be Eric Rowe as a tight end racer this week and no Elijah Campbell. So that's a matchup to really look at. Clayton Fedulam, or I don't know how you handle it with more guys than that, but uh, that's a big matchup there. He's a productive, versatile tight end that I was hoping we'd have Eric Rowe for. We do not. It's a tall order. You're going to have to, you're going to give up plays these guys, but I cannot emphasize enough the importance of capitalizing on plays that are there for you. And the recent Bills losses, that's been the difference really. The Browns and Lions had them on the ropes and back-to-back games and some missed opportunities to me were the difference in those games. But if you look at the Vikings and the Jets games earlier this year, Two picks in both of those games and two losses for the Bills. So it's a big matchup out there. Offensive line versus defensive line. Spoiler, one of the keys to the game will be finishing the potential splash plays you create. 
create negatives, and that always starts up front, doesn't it? The Dolphins' pass rush is really getting after it, but the finishing element hasn't been there. It's hard to do that when the ball's out in two and a half seconds. Quarterbacks are mitigating that by getting to the open guy early, but they've been relentless all year. Phillips has been tremendous. Wilkins has been so good. And my goodness, has he turned on the last couple of weeks a different level of play we haven't seen from him before. Ingram has been as efficient as anybody, and Chubb is bubbling up towards a big game. You can kind of sense it with his ability to get by his man. The arrival point at the quarterback just is not always married up on those particular plays. Like he'll jump inside and the quarterback's booting against him. It just hasn't worked out quite yet. They had Allen under constant duress in that week three game, and it just forced the ball out all game long. And at the end of it, it was too much for the Bills to muster up more than 17 offensive points. I mean, they scored 19 total. But man, if you do that in this game, you have to get out of there with a win. Like, you have to. Uh, And their offensive line pressure allowed and pass blocking snaps, it's pretty good across the board. Dawkins, 24 on 502. Saffold, 26 on 574. That's kind of the spot you to look at there on the offensive line. Mitch Morris is 13, 246. Ryan Bates is out for this game. We'll see who they replace him with. Probably David Kessenberry. He's been 12 on just 200. So that's a kind of an area to look at as well. And then Spencer Brown, 35 on 427. That offensive line's been their Achilles heel this year. It's we we have to beat them consistently with the injuries they've had and that right side of the offensive line. Force Allen to move, hit him, turn him over, and just keep him uncomfortable. The Jets did it in both games. We have to do it here. Dawkins is one of the best left tackles in football. He missed one game and some change, and it was a noticeable difference without him on the field. Any wins you get against him are a bonus, but for a guy like Bradley Chubb, that's why you go out and get him. Big matchup this week. On the other side, Phillips has been so good and getting better all year long. Point blank is this. We need him to kick Spencer Brown's butt. You have to. He gave up seven pressures against the Jets last week, six in a game versus the Lions earlier, and as well as in a game against the Vikings. We need that. A seven-pressure day, a two-sack day from Phillips, maybe force a fumble. I think it's a big game for him. He made some plays back in that week three game, but I think he's improved a lot since then. So finishing with those sacks, that near INT he had, make those plays and we could come out of this one victorious. And then Wilkins just winning regardless of who's across from him right now. Hopefully his pass rush wins pair with someone like JP or Melvin or Chubb or Gink getting home off the edge because Allen's so damn good at making one man miss. If the Dolphins are going to slow the Bills, it'll be because to me, Phillips and Wilkins gave Brown and Kestenberry, the replacement right guard, all they could handle all game long. Our last position group, running backs and linebackers, a position where the Bills are extremely multiple. James Cook is explosive as all get out, and Devin Singletary is just such a reliable option. They're both right around three yards average after initial contact. 25 missed tackles forced for Singletary, 15 for Cook. They're both dynamic in the passing game and good outlets when Allen gets that multiple rusher pressure that he looks at and can flip the ball out to those guys. When they play patient, get the ball to the backs in the passing game and run the ball effectively, man, they are tough to stop and they shorten the game by doing so. So it's really tough to beat them when they can do that. I've been so impressed by Jerome Baker playing both that stacked linebacker position off the ball, but also coming down off the edge and making an impact there in the running game. To me, his speed out wide with Duke inside is a must against this offense. And Ken Dorsey's offense is creative, has false keys, and can pump the ball to any of the eligibles. So we need Jerome, Duke, Landon Roberts all to be firing on all cylinders here. Special teams DVOA ranks, Miami's 32nd, Buffalo's 3rd. Tyler Bass is 26 for 29 with the three misses coming from one apiece from 50 plus, 40 to 49 and under 40. Uh, He's missed one of his 38 PATs. And then Sam Martin averages 42 yards of gross with an inside the 20 yard line rate of 35% and a touchback rate of 15%. Jason Sanders hit his first 50 yarder of the season on Sunday night. 
That's great to see. He looks really good lately. 18 for 22 and Morstead's gross is 40.3 with an inside the 20 yard line rate of 38% and a touchback rate of just 4%. What's at stake here? Any hope of winning the division starts with winning this football game. Control our own destiny is now gone. That, that's a foreign concept. If Miami wins, they'll still need help to capture the AFC East crown. Now, that's hardly impossible, impo- but winning this game is no small task, so we'll see about that after the conclusion. Moreover, there's a chance the Dolphins are on the outside looking in at the conclusion of this game if they lose. And that's a tough pill to swallow when you were competing for the one seed just three weeks ago. If the Jets and Patriots get wins and the Dolphins lose, they'll be back in that in-the-hunt column uh, with the Jets home for the Lions and Patriots home for the Raiders. I think confidence could be just as big as securing a win in the win-loss column here with a positive result. To go into a place that you have struggled historically, just one win since 2011, the last playoff year in 2016 on Christmas Eve, to stop the streak to win a cold-weather game against a team that has had your number, at least prior to the September game, and put a race for the division back on over the final three weeks, to me that would mean everything, right? All this, you know, sick to your stomach feeling you've had the last couple of weeks, I think goes away. Social media being unbearable to me personally, I don't know about you guys, uh, that goes away a little bit for a week at least. Then you get to come home for a long week and welcome a team who's currently 5-8 and eight in the Packers. The win, the confidence, the standings impact, it's a huge game. Not to mention another chance in prime time to show what you're all about to the entire country. As for the playoff odds numbers we introduced last week, let's go ahead and update that with a win. Miami's playoff odds increased to 86% chance and a 20% chance to win the division with a loss, 69% playoff chances and less than 1% to win the division. It's a big game. My expectations, honestly, like I I do think Miami's going to win the last three games of the year and the playoff odds in that scenario are 99.8%. So regardless, it's not the end of the world. I know we all want to feel better, but a loss, and I think it's fair to reevaluate your expectations as to what would the Dolphins do in the postseason back after a three-game slide with, without our quarterback my expectation was the five seed and hopefully a trip to the AFC Southware in the playoffs that's kind of my new hope and expectation win or lose this game get that five seed and get the AFC South game on the road in the postseason the three keys to the game convert quarterback pressures into sacks and negative plays you cannot miss when they have the opportunities have to make the most of it number two a big game for the running backs both to run the football against a defense that plays exclusively almost nickel defense and doesn't want to bring the linebackers up against this vaunted middle of the field passing game run the ball opens up everything else especially in the weather and the number three prevent pressure against four-man rushes if they bring four we have to keep two upright it's the biggest key of the game to me. Week 15 picks. Once again, we are asking for your faith on the Thursday night football pick. Hopefully, I earned that last week with the loss, thanks to the heroics of Baker Mayfield, which I thought was awesome. How do you not feel great for Baker Mayfield after that game? But in week 14, that loss made us 9-4, and 142-65-2 and 65 and two on the season. That's 68.5%. I'm taking the Niners over the Seahawks. Probably not a surprise there. Give me the Vikings over the Colts, the Ravens over the Browns. That's a tough one to pick. I don't have a ton of faith in the Ravens right now, but Cleveland can't do anything with that new quarterback they've got. Buffalo over Miami. I'm sorry. That's your Saturday night games. Uh, Philly over Chicago on Sunday. The Jets over the Lions. That's the toughest one for me to pick this week. I'm taking the Jets because Jared Goff has struggled in the cold, you know, historically. And I think the Lions had a very big emotional win. The Jets had a letdown game on Sunday. I think things tend to kind of correct themselves after that. Pittsburgh over Carolina, KC over Houston, give me the Saints over the Falcons, give me the Cowboys over the Jaguars, the Broncos over the Cardinals, 
Oh, Las Vegas over New England. Don't feel confident in that one. I'll take the Titans over the Chargers. Don't feel confident in that one at all. Give me the Bengals over the Bucks. Give me the Giants over the Commanders and the Packers over the Rams. And I'm going to go ahead and get out of here because Carolina is screaming her head off right now. My wife is currently playing zone defense against the two kids. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice, the post-game show as well. Check out MiamiDolphins.com, the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. Caroline and Cameron, Daddy's coming upstairs right now.